Give your Bible, which I hope you do. Turn with me to the epistle of 1 John. 1 John at the end, near the end of the New Testament. Today we celebrate the birth, the coming of Christ. The eternal Son of God, the, the Word, the Logos, by which all things were created for Him and through Him and to Him. The One who formed and fashioned the cosmos, who suspends the galaxies in the sky by the very Word of His power. He would come and take upon the form of an infant. Would walk upon the earth for 30 years and the, the earth did not crumble under His feet. He came to be the fulfillment of all hope. The Prince of Peace. The Giver of great joy. How marvelous the good news of Christmas. How worthy it is to sing and to praise and to celebrate. There's not a single actor this season that does not draw our heart to Him. Every light that is suspended is the grand reality that the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. The trees which we set up in our home, far from being pagan, are the grand reality that the one to whom we celebrate is himself the tree of life. As we gather around the tree, we are reminded that He gathers us to Himself. He gathers the nations to Himself as one family united in Him. As we unfold and open the gifts, we are reminded that He is the greatest gift of all. And as we feel the joy and the love that marks this season, we are reminded why He came. And maybe, maybe you're struggling today. Maybe this is your first Christmas without a loved one. Maybe you're here alone without family. I want you to know that there is still room to celebrate for you. Because every pain Sorrow you feel. The God of creation entered into so that He can be with you through this. And that He could come and accomplish what no one else could by defeating death. By ensuring that death is no longer a finality. But that it will go on. It is merely a comma. A see you later rather than a final thing for those who have died in Him. Even if you are sorrowful today because of the realities of Christmas, this Savior is still very much for you. Because He Himself would come as a man of sorrow. We spend so much of our Christmas messages, and rightfully so, talking about what Christ came to do. Christ came to redeem a sinful humanity who were without hope at saving themselves without any capacity or hope or means by which to restore themselves back to the God who created them. 
only facing judgment and destruction. That's what he did. He came to redeem sinners back to God. He came to live a perfect life and to establish what true humanity is meant to look like. One that has lived for the glory of God, for love of God, for love of others. He came to die in our place by bearing the wrath of God that each and every one of us deserved. He came to create a new humanity, the first fruits of the new creation, a people who are marked by light and love. That's what He did when He came. But when we press behind all of that, when we dig down real deep through all of those realities of what He did, the thing that must permeate our heart, the main question that you, that all of us in this room, kids, you too, that we need to ask the question is why? Why does God do anything towards humanity? And if you press it far enough and you go deep enough, there's one single answer. Love. Love is why God does anything towards humanity. Love is why He created. Love is why He came. Love is why He redeems. Love. If the reason for creating is just a demonstration of power and authority, you don't create something that you know is going to fall. And if it does, what do you do? You just recreate it. You just start over. If it's all about power, if it's all about authority, why would you create a world that you know would fall? And that you know that you would send yourself to redeem? Love. That's why. Love is why Christ came. Love is why we have this celebration. Love is why we are redeemed. Love is why we live. Love came down and rescued us. Love is why he came. And no one gets to the heart of this more than John. John refers to himself, of all things, as the beloved. Now, a lot of times people think, well, maybe John is just trying to say he's a favorite of Jesus. Or, you know, Jesus really loved me. That's not why John chooses that name. John was an apostle. He could have called himself John the Apostle. John the preacher. John the evangelist. John the missionary. Instead, he refers to himself as John the Beloved. Why? And I think this is why. And I hope that you'll feel and have this same heart today when you leave. John was flabbergasted. That God would set his love on him. And the only thing that mattered to John is I'm loved by God. I'm loved by God. I'm loved by Christ. And that's all that matters to me. John would suffer immense persecution and exile. He would watch his apostolic brothers be martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus. And the single sustaining force for John is he loves me. If he loves me, I'll live for him. John writes more about love than anyone else. And the one, thing, the one way that he refers to the people of God is what? The beloved. You are loved. And therefore go live for him. Love is why he came. 
And I want you to show this morning. Here's the main thing that I want you to take from this brief message we have this morning. Love is the reason and the goal for why Christ came into the world. We so often talk about the first part. Love's the reason He came. God so loved, He came. Christ came in love. But did you know that if we stop there with our Christmas message, that love's just the reason He came, we actually undercut what Christmas is really about. Christ did not just come to show love. He came to create a people of love. He came to create a people who are marked by a divine, supernatural love and the greatest testimony for which His people go and live out and declare the fact that Christ really came is this love that is strange and marks us apart from the world. If you want to know how do we go show the world that Christ came, it's through our love. It's through our love. So He didn't just come to show us love. He came to build in us, create in us love. He came in love and He came for love. It's the reason and the goal that Christmas happened. And I want you to see that from John himself this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, the Apostle writes this to us. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, for if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This love here is the Greek word agape, love. This is not a love that can be conjured among human emotion. It cannot be conjured within man. This love is a divine love, a supernatural love. It cannot be conjured in man. It must be communicated from God. This love can only be created in us by the God of love himself. So often 1 Corinthians 13 is referred to as the love chapter. But I would argue 1 John 4 is the love chapter. In 1 Corinthians 13, love is referred to 13 times. In 1 John chapter 4, it's referred to 27 times. Why? Because love is why He came. Love is why He came. Love is the chief mark of the believer. It is the supreme ethic of the Christian life. Love. And what John is saying here is if you don't have a love that is flowing through you, if this agape love is not a mark of your life, then you're not of God. Let us love one another. For those who are born of God, right, are loving. Why? Because God is love. I want you to think about that for a second. Before we get to the love part, I want you to celebrate this this morning. 
God is. God is. Maybe you're struggling with that this morning. Maybe you come here not sure if God really is there. By the word of God, God is. He is. He is alive and He is alive forevermore. He has always been. There was never a time when He was not. From all of eternity, He has been. And we are told something about this God. This is not just God is. God is a tyrant. God is rough. God is harsh. Could have said a lot of things. But no, God is love. Now we are told elsewhere, God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is perfect. So this isn't the single attribute of God. But what it tells us about this kind of love is that this love is a part of the nature of God himself. Love is not created. It emanates from the very being of this God. There was never a time that this God was not, that was, that love was not. And the only way that's possible is if this God has a way of communicating this love with others. How does that work? Well, we have a Godhead. God is a part of, the, the, this love is a part of God's nature because from all eternity, this God has existed amongst co-equal, co-eternal three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why choose to, to take upon themselves that name, Father and Son, if there is no love there? This love is forever emanated amongst them, within them, perfect love, needing nothing. So why does God create? God creates to communicate His love external to Himself. That's why He, was, that's why he created. And those who He gives new birth to, those who become His children, are what? Partakers of His nature. Sharers of His nature. In other words, the reason why we should have this supernatural love is because what? We should be reflecting our Father. If we've been born of Him, our life's going to look like Him. This love will be a mark of our life. This is what is being said here by John. You cannot claim to know God, to have seen God, to have behold God, if your life is not characterized by love. This love that is being referred to here is so strange. Because it's a love that we cannot come to fashion. This love is neither self-satisfying nor self-gratifying. This love is self-emptying. This love only thinks about the object more than it does the self. It is a love that is towards others. Regardless of who they are, what they've done. My friends, I want you to know today, there was nothing lovable about us. Only that which was unlovable. But God is love and that love must emanate towards His creation. And that's what He does. It is a love towards. A love that is focused solely on blessing and bestowing care towards others. Regardless of what they've done to me. It is not based upon their identity. It is not based upon who they are. It's based solely upon the fact that I am called to love and that love must radiate from me towards others. I love this because God's making very clear here that this is His desire for us. 
And here we are told now what created, what should create this love within our hearts? What has brought this love to pass? And here we get the Christmas reality that John wants us to see. Here is the connection to Christmas when it comes to this reality of love. The first thing that I want you to see this morning in verse 9 and 10 is that Jesus came from love. He came from love. This is particularly with uh, view in view is the Father. We're told in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but He loves us and sent His Son to be the procreation for our sins. You know, I, I've heard a lot. Man, that God of the Old Testament, rough. He's harsh. Thank God Jesus came. My friend, the same God of the Old Testament is this God whose steadfast love endures forever. And this God, who for all eternity has set His love upon His Son, because there was never a time where there was the Father as there was the Son. The Son is eternally generating from the Father. As you cannot have the Son in the cosmos without light, and light without the Son, you can't have the Father without the Son, and the Son without the Father. He eternally generates from the Father. And this love amongst them have always been there. And yet, God sends that Son, that perfect eternal Son, not just to come and tell everybody, hey, you need to get it right, my dad's not happy, and then beams back up there. He comes to die for those who are at war with God. My friend, you are treasons against the Holy God, all of us. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And He, you, are the reason that He sent His Son. John 3.16, we all know the verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. sent him to save. He sent him in love. The one he loved for all eternity, he did not even spare for you. Oh, what manner of love is this? His only begotten son, this unique eternal relationship. He would send, and we're told in 1 John, to be the propitiation of our sin. That word propitiation, it means satisfaction. That our sins, the wrath that our sins deserve, was satisfied, how? By Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, coming on to Calvary, and the fullness of God's wrath, which you deserved, is poured out onto Him in place of you. And He drinks every drop of the wrath of His Father dry, so that if you're in Him today, there's not a single ounce of wrath left over for you. Here in the sending of the Son, we see the love of God rescuing us from the wrath of God. God sent His Son from love. We see this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10. For God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, notice, when were we? When we were still sinners, at our ugliest, our lowest, at our greatest rebellion, when we were prodigals, astray, running, despising God, and with the utmost of sin, this is when He shows His love for us. 
and Christ dies for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. He sent his son not just to die for us, he sent his son to live for us. That his righteousness might be given to us because we could never earn the righteousness necessary to stand before a holy God. So God sent His Son who bears His righteousness alone. And He comes and He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. And so Paul would write in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If he gave you his son, what do you think he's going to keep from you, dear Christian? His love for you is limitless. It is beyond all imagination. It is, it is unfathomable. The love of the Father for sinners. The love of the Father for you today. Jesus came from love. But maybe this is new to you. Maybe this is news to you. Maybe you've struggled with this concept. And maybe you're thinking, man, how could he send his son? That seems kind of harsh. It seems like Jesus gets the, 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 the bad end of this deal. But I want you to know, my friend, Jesus not only came from love, Jesus came in love. This was not something that was forced upon the Son. This is something that the Son of God Himself, from eternity, before the foundation of the earth, before, before it was ever spoken, let there be light. The Father and Son came together in perfect covenant with the Spirit of God working among them to make this divine plan. The Father said, you will go and die for them. And the Son volitionally, lovingly, willfully says, I will go to redeem them. He did not just come from love. He came in love. Everything that you read in verses 9 through 10 about him coming and being a propitiation, by his coming and being sent, by his coming and not condemning the world in his first coming, it all stems not just from the Father's love, but for the Son's love for you. Everything that Jesus did in his life, every act of righteousness fulfilled, every faithful step of fulfilling the law was because of his love for you. And when he went to Calvary. He bore your sin upon his flesh and your name upon his heart. He came in love. I want you to see this from the text. John 13, 1. I love this. This is the night when Jesus was betrayed. John writes this about Jesus. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And you've got to ask the question, what was the end to which he loved us? And the answer is his sacrificial death. He went to the cross for you, my dear friend. He went to the cross with the utmost love upon his heart. Every step towards Calvary was a march of love for you. And so I want you to be able to say with Paul this morning, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Don't walk away from this room this morning without being able to say that. He loved me 
and he gave himself for me. That's why he came. My dear friend, he loved you. And he came for you. And he lived for you. And he died for you. And he was raised for you. And he reigns for you. And he intercedes for you. And he'll come back for you. Will you say this with Paul this morning? He loved me. And he gave himself for me. Because if you can say that this morning, here is the grand truth that you can walk out of this with Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors in Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I can almost see... Paul's hand hurting as he's writing that, as he's just like preaching through the pen in this reality of Christ's love for us. And because of what he came and did, because he came, because he died, there is nothing in you that should ever doubt that his love does not stand for you forever. There is nothing that you're going through right now that is any way an indictment on his love for you. Because he went through it himself. And he bore far more so that you can know him. My friend, you may have felt betrayed. You may feel lonely. You may feel lost. You may feel hurt this season. Your family may have wronged you. You may have been hurt by those who love you. I want you to know, my friend, there is a love that is perfect. There is a love that can never be broken. A love that can never be taken. And it is found in Christ and Him alone. And it is for you today. Once you receive this gift of love. But John makes clear... Because see, this is often where our Christmas message stops. Where we just talk about how one loving God is. And amen, He is. He loved and sent His Son. And the Son in love came and died for us. And lived for us. And was raised for us. And every act of His life was an act of love. Amen. Christmas is about the love of God. But that's not where it was meant to stop. He did. He came in love so that we could be lovers. Jesus came not just from love, not just in love. He came for love. That we might be that love. I want you to see that in verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I'm going to talk about what he's saying here, right? I love this. God so loved us with being unlovable. Remember, there was nothing about this love that was reciprocal. It wasn't like we acted and God was like, I guess I'll love him. It was total, all self-emptying. I'm going to love you when you can't love me. But if that's what he can do for us, if that's what he did for us, and he did, my friends, how much more should we be loving how much more should we be living, loving? And what he's talking about there is no one has seen God. He's not making a theological statement on Christ or anything like that. What he's talking about there is the invisibility of God. God is spirit, right? The eternal God is spirit. We don't see him. And what he's trying to say there is how can you say you love this God who is spirit, who is not seen to the visible eye, but hate your neighbor who is visibly seen, who bears his image? 
How can you say you love the invisible God, but you despise the visible neighbor who bears his image? That's what he's challenging here. You cannot say you love God and then hate your neighbor. Because your neighbor will never sin against you the way you sin against the God who loves you. And gave himself for you. And so, we see this reality that Christ came, verse 11, 12 says, it says, this love will be in us and perfected in us. What does that mean? How can the love of God be made any more perfect? It is perfect, right? So how can it be perfected in us? This is what John means by this. That the plan of God was not just to come and save people so they could continue to live how they wanted to. It wasn't just to save people who kind of continued on in their own way. He loved, He came, so that we could now be the very reflections of Him in the world. That we could bear His love. And so when it says that His love is perfected in us, what it's saying is, is when we are now living in that supernatural love towards others, we are showing that His love was not in vain. We are showing that what He came for actually did something. That it really changed us and it really mattered. And so perhaps the reason today that there are so many people in this world that deny Christ came in the flesh, that Christ truly was the Son of God that was born into the world, is because they don't see the love of God manifest among His people. Perhaps the reason that so many people can deny Christ is because they don't see His love in the people who claim Christ. 1 John 3, 16 and 18. By this we know love, that he, that's Christ, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What does that look like? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in, not, not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Would it have been loving of God to see each and every one of us in our greatest need of all, going to hell, Facing the eternal punishment and separation from Him. And just go, well, until they figure it out, I'm going to sit up here and wait. Until they do what I want them to do. Until they do something that I like. Then I'll give them an extra hand. Thank God He didn't have that heart. Because guess what? We'd all be going to hell. So how can we look to our brother in need, knowing that that's what God did for us, who cared for our greatest need? How can we look to them in need and say, well, let's make sure they get some skin in the game first. Let's make sure that they give a little bit of something and help out or do something towards us and then we'll give them something. Oh, God help that we show them love and they take advantage of it. That's not the kind of love that God shows. Countless people every day are waking up and breathing because of the love of God just to turn around and use it to curse Him. And yet He gives it. We were called to love because He came from love and in love. And now we should be living this way. Christ commands this love. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all the disciples know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not only does He command it. He prays for this kind of love amongst His people. This is how He closes His high priestly prayer before going to Calvary. This is His prayer to the Father. 
Father, I desire that they also, whom you've been given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He came from love. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. He came in love. That the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. He came for love. Notice that. God, Jesus is praying that the love that the Father has for Him will be in you. Can you imagine any greater love than that? An eternal love, a perfect love, a, 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 a love that is remarkable and unshakable. I want that kind of love. I want Hillside to have that kind of love. Because that love makes the world go, there's something different there. That love makes the world say, I think Christ really did come. Because that love's not humanly possible. Does the world see in the church a love that can only be created by a supernatural act of God? Or do they just see a country club going through the motions? Putting up with each other as needed. Do they see a supernatural love which Christ came to give us and create in us? And who is doing this? Who's doing that? The Spirit of God. Do you see this triune act of love? The Father loves us by sending the Son. Christ loves by coming and saving us. The Spirit loves by sanctifying us in this love. And I'll just bring it all together. Verse 13 through 17 of this chapter, 1 John 4. Let's bring it all together as we bring it to a close. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. Because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in His love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is the love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in the world. As He is. As He is what? Love. So we are in the world. He kept us in the world so that we would manifest His love and continue to manifest His love. As He is, God is love, so should we be in the world. Because we reflect His love. We reflect that a supernatural work of God has come. We reflect that Jesus came from love and in love and for love. And we are a living testimony of the Christmas truth that Christ came when that love is manifest in us. I love it. This is the confidence we have on the day of judgment. In other words, what is the greatest assurance of your salvation today? It's, is there love in your life? And that's why he goes on to say in the next verse, that perfect love cast out all fear. Fear of what? Fear of judgment. Because if his love's in my life, I know he's at work in me. I know the Spirit of God is at work in me when he's producing this love. And so let that be our prayer today. Lord, help this love be moved in me. Because Christmas time 
is not just a time to be mindful of His love. It's a time to be moved by His love. To be moved to action. To move to greater living. Move to greater love. If there's one resolution, you should set your heart right this very moment for 2024. It's God, help me love more. Help me love better. Because here's the truth of it, my friends. What the world does not need is a broader definition of true love from the church. The world needs a greater demonstration of true love from the church. And the reason why there's so many counterfeits of fake love in this world is because we won't show them the real thing. And when we show them what real love looks like, what agape love looks like, all those counterfeits will be seen as that. That's not real love. That's vanity. That's self-love. This is God's love. This is true love. And when we show them the real thing, a counterfeit won't stand. The world does not need another definition of love. It needs a greater demonstration of it. And it comes from the people who have God themselves. Christ came from love. He came in love. He came for love. And the greatest way to carry the Christmas season from January to November, before we start Advent, is to carry His love with you and to pour it out from you. Because the light of Christ shines brightest when the love of Christ pours out from us the most. The reason why He starts with what God does for us is because guess what? When you think about what Christ did for you, what God has done for you, it should create in you this love. It should create in you an action to get up and say, I've got to go love. I've got to do this. I can't look at my neighbor and my friend and my brother and look down upon them. I have to show them the love of Christ. What is, why is Christmas so precious to me? What is Christmas like that it moves me to celebrate it and love it so much? This is what Christmas is like. And I want you to hear this this morning. Why is it so precious to me? Consider how, because I was in a courtroom. And I had come to realize that the king of the realm had a law. And I'd been brought into this courtroom because it had been told of me that I had broken this law. And when I come into the courtroom, sitting at the judge's seat is the very son of the king himself. And I look over and the accuser, my, my uh, prosecuting attorney, is the unassailable law of God, the law the king himself. And as the, the, the law is read, I realize that I have broken it at almost every point. I realize that I am a, in high treason to the king. There is no defense attorney because it's obvious to everyone there, I am guilty, guilty, guilty. And the judge, the son of the king, brings down the gavel and he says, you are guilty of high treason. You will receive the full penalty of your actions. And that penalty is eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from the realm where there is joy and love and life forever. And eternal torment in judgment. I am, I, I am immediately clothed with robes of dishonor, filthy rags. That mark out my treachery. I am shackled to the reality and the bondage of the punishment that now awaits me. 
I cannot break from these shackles or take off these guards. They mark me out as one who will face judgment. I am carried into the cell to await my execution where I will be cut off and cast away for all eternity in nothing but torment and punishment. And as I sit there weeping over the reality of my brokenness in this cell of darkness, a light enters into the cell and a knock upon the door and the door opens and I look up and who is it? Nothing other than the son who was sitting there judging me earlier. The son of the king himself. And he enters my cell without any invitation on my own. It was totally volitional on his part. And he looks to me. And he says, I'm going to take your condemnation. My father and I have chosen that I will take your condemnation in your place. And immediately he begins to exchange. He takes my filthy rags off of me and he puts on me his royal robe of righteousness and he cloaks me in it. And he takes off my shackles which were enchaining me to the destruction that was awaiting me. And instead he puts upon me his golden rings, one of which bears the signet of the king, which shows that I, I now have royal sonship and, and that it is a decree that I will receive the inheritance of the king and he places that ring on me and he has the shackles placed on him instead. And he says, you wear these because if you wear these, you will forever escape the judgment. If you wear my righteousness and my ring, all that is mine is now yours and you will go safely. And as tears fill my eyes, Wondering what is going on. How is this happening? Is this some cruel joke? This seems too impossible. I say why? Why would you? Why would the king do this? And he looks to me. With a boldness like a lion. But with the sweetness of a lamb. And he says because we love you. Because we love you. That's why. And I say, well, what can I do? Is there something I can do? And he says to me, as you go, you tell everyone what I have done for you. You tell them of my love. And you tell them of what, I, what has happened here today. And you go show them my love the way I have shown you. So that they might know me the way you know me. That's why it came. That's Christmas. That's why it's worth celebrating. And right now, if you haven't yet known this, that king stands in your cell, my dear friend. And he says, take off the robes of filth and sin. And take upon you the robes of my righteousness. For I will take your condemnation. Oh, won't you believe in Christ today? Won't you see his love and be moved to action and let his love forever flow through you? Because the light of Christ shines the brightest in us when the love of Christ flows the greatest from us. We were saved to love. We were saved from love. We were saved in love. 
Oh, won't you forever live your life for him in love. That's why he came. That's why we celebrate. And that's why we will forever be with him. All because of love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Father God, thank you so much for your love. For your love for us who are so unlovable who are at war with you, enmity with you, and yet you so loved us. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us and dying for us and coming for us volitionally, willfully, upon your own freedom. Spirit of God, thank you for loving us so much, of fulfilling us, empowering us, sealing us for your glory, and making us more like Jesus, and working that love within us. Oh Lord, I pray, God, that there isn't a heart that walks away from here today that does not walk away able to say with absolute certainty that Jesus loved me and he gave himself for me and therefore I will live and love for him all the days of my life. That right wherever they are right now, there would be a full, complete and total surrender to the one who so loved us. Lord, I pray for a supernatural love to fall upon your church and to fill your church. That it might flow out to the world so that the world may see with absolute certainty Christ must have come. That's the only explanation for this supernatural love for these people. Lord, in a time when there's so many counterfeits of love, so many wicked lies and twistings of true love, let us not be caught up in, in trying to create new definitions of love. But let us live out the demonstration of love you have shown and you've created in us. That your love would be so manifest in us, God. That there isn't a doubt in this world that Christ lives and he rules and he reigns. Oh God, this Christmas season. Let us be reminded of every moment, of every celebration, of every ounce of joy and peace that we have over the next few days, that it's all because you loved. And God, manifest that love in us and through us in a mighty way. Let love be our chief mark. And that as we reflect upon the light of the world coming in, let us make sure that that light is not in vain, but that it shines forever through us as we live out his love to a lost world, continuing his mission of seeking and saving the lost, of going after the downcast and the brokenhearted, of binding the wounds and the iniquities of those who, have, who are, are broken and hurtful, the outcast, the shameful. Let us live and follow on in the love of Christ, that your love may forever be manifested for your glory, for the salvation of sinners. And that your light may shine among men and your Father may be glorified in heaven. Lord, draw us all to you this morning in greater love as we set our hearts to light the candles in the reality that you have come into the world. Love came down and rescued us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.